This is a recording from Reunions Weekend 2011 at the University of Virginia, made possible by the Office of Engagement's Alumni Education Program. On June 3, 2011, Karen Rose of the School of Nursing briefed a gathering of alumni on what can be done to care for aging parents. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, welcome back to Grounds. I, too, am an alum of 2006, so it's great to see um, folks back here again. So welcome. Um, just to orient you, I tend to need to orient people in the work that I do, um, that you're here for, to listen to a conversation about caring for your aging parents. Now, while I have a formal presentation pulled together, I'd also welcome any, any informal conversations, discussions, questions that you may have as well. My sense is that many of you may be in the midst of uh, preparing to care for an aging relative, and so I'd be, and you may have questions, please, please, absolutely. Um, so I'd welcome any questions, burning questions that you have as well. Um, and I have my email here available for you. So 24 seven, I tend to live on email. So please, if I can be of any assistance, I'd be glad to do so. So we'll get started. And the real concern in a nutshell is that people aren't, that as we age, and as older adults, your parents' relatives age, they may not be able to care for themselves. And while we think about typically the things like physical abuse, caregiver neglect, financial exploitation, those are the things that kind of hit the headlines, really the most common reported incident to adult protective services is self-neglect. Um, and I think there are many reality shows now that are dealing with this whole issue of hoarding. Um, as an example of self-neglect, just an inability to care for oneself. So there seems to be a disconnect between what we think is happening, what we're scared of, you know, frightened of happening to our older adults, and what's really actually reported to adult, adult protective services. So I just wanted to point that out to you. So the whole idea of is it safe to be at home? And of course it all has to do with perception. What your perception may be as a relative looking in on your um, aging family member is that they're not safe. They're not keeping up the house the way they used to. They're not making good decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And yet when you start to have a conversation with your um, relative, their perception is very different. Um, in fact, their perception oftentimes is that those things just don't matter anymore. And I can tell you as I'm aging myself, as we all are, things that used to be very important aren't. Um, so there is a, a difference of, of, of opinion and perception um, and that's where some challenges and some conflicts can arise. So an exploratory study done back uh, now about 10 years ago looking at perceptions of why we believe people, um, what are people's fears and, and what do they think are, would be reasons that they would seek some assistance or, or be safe at home um, was conducted. And in the sample they looked at, hi, um, nurses as one group, and then they looked at three other groups of non-nurses, persons who were younger than 30, persons between the ages of 30 and 60, and persons over the age of 60. And you'll see there the breakdown of the mean age was 54.55 years old, primarily female, um, Caucasian, and college and high school educated. So the question was, is it safe to be at home? What would your perception be of some different incidences? So you'll see in this first column here, so our nursing sample here, non-nurses, um, nurses, non-nurses, and then non-nurses by age group, okay? So when you ask nurses what would be the reason, what important skill um, 
to be independent at home. They'd say that they must be able to manage medications. Okay? In contrast, over here, persons who are older than 60 said, no, actually, it's balance. That, that would be a reason. Um, that would be the primary reason for me that I'd need to have this to be independent at home. Okay, so there's some discrepancy, and you'll see pretty much across the board there's some, well, managing medications. The second thing then that nurses said was very important would be using a telephone. Older adults said the ability to see, okay? So some sensory differences. Third thing that nurses said would be using a toilet, okay? Um, no, that didn't uh, rank here. Well, the third thing for older adults was the ability to lock and unlock doors, so safety. Um, having a family member willing to help, they believed, was important. Nurses believed is important for being able to maintain independence at home. Um, and they think using a toilet, and in fact, nowhere did they mention, older adults mention having a family member willing to help. So again, differences in perception. Then when we asked this same group, what would be some diseases or symptoms that would interfere with your ability to be independent at home? Total agreement there. Everyone had Alzheimer's disease, which is the area of my interest, research interest, but they all agreed that would be the number one reason that diagnosis would inhibit their ability to be independent and to remain at home. Beyond that, we differed. Nurses said paralysis. Um, older adults agreed with that. First one was paralysis. Other things that nurses said were night wandering. Again, they agreed, night wandering. And again, that's not atypical in persons with Alzheimer's disease. Um, the fourth was having a stroke, older adults said, or um, dialysis. And I think that nurses said um, that dialysis was more important and fractures would be another reason. So again, my point is that not so, it's just that there are differences in perceptions. What older adults believe would be reasons, um, conditions why they would be unable to remain at home and what medical healthcare professionals say are different. So what are some factors that we need to consider to keep persons at home? And I think what we saw on that last slide, certainly in medical history, the importance of any chronic diseases, the impact of any disease states that people may have on their ability to, to maintain their independence, to manage their disease, to manage their home. Certainly the whole issue of finances, um, and I will tell you a report that was released yesterday, um, hot off the press, from the National Area Agencies on Aging, this was the number one challenge that they see in the next 10 years. This whole issue of getting people through this great recession and the impact that this great recession has had on older adults. That's the number one issue, number one challenge that um, is being seen nationwide for maintaining persons at home. Um, other considerations, personality, are they lonely? Are they unhappy? Are they afraid? Are they nervous? You know, high anxiety, those things certainly enter the picture. Relationship with caregivers and proximity to services. Are there family, family members around? Do they have access? Do they have the finances to be able to afford some personal care services? So lots of things to consider. So the, the question that I get asked a lot is how do I start the conversation? How do I start talking with mom or dad or Aunt Sally, whomever, about the whole issue of is it safe for them to stay at home or is it time to be thinking about other, um, other levels of assistance? So I think one of the best ways to, be, to broach the subject is really to ask them for their advice. What do you think? What are your thoughts about this, 
that to the extent that you're not challenging and kind of in their face about the topic, I think that that goes a long way. And those of you who are parents probably have seen this in your teenagers as well. Asking questions with respect and affection, um, being specific and non-judgmental, all the kinds of just non-judgmental, non-confrontational approaches to begin the conversation. sure that you can see this, but the primary importance really, what we're trying to get at, are they safe from a physical, a psychological, and a socioeconomic perspective? And how are they functioning? ADLs, it's a, it's a, a medical term, we, it's for, stands for activities of daily living. Typically, these are the things that all of us need to be able to handle to get through our days. Things like bathing, dressing, toileting, um, transferring, remaining continent, and the ability to feed their, yourself. And so when there's an issue with this, um, many times these issues, these challenges can be avoided and can be treatable with some modifications. So the kinds of special help that's available for folks, there are all kinds of physical therapy and occupational therapy um, maneuvers, different kinds of handles for utensils, different, you know, just a simple so, um, handlebar, grab bar, those kinds of things. Um, you've probably seen on TV the, the ad for help I've fallen and I can't get up and so the personal assistance, just a notification can be very comforting as well. And then there are telephone reassurance programs. In the area where I live in, in the Shenandoah Valley, I know through our area agency on aging and oftentimes through electric companies as well, they have telephone reassurance um, volunteers who will voluntarily call up if you put your loved one on a, a call list. They're glad to call them weekly, daily, monthly, however, to check in just to make sure that they're okay. They don't offer assistance beyond a check-in, but that can be um, comforting. And I know in, where I live, um, the Area Agency on Aging does that, and I believe in the state of Virginia that v Virginia Dominion Power offers that service as well. And so I think that's another kind of simple reassurance. Um, way to handle that. There are all kinds of now mobile monitors that are, being, um, that are being introduced to the market. One of them that I'm aware of really does use this infrared sensor. And so in my area for persons with um, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, it's very helpful because family members worry about the issue of wandering and the person becoming lost. And so if, if, the loved one, if your loved one is willing to um, wear this kind of wristwatch-like device. It sends out infrared, it uses GPS, and so we can really detect them wherever they are. Um, and so persons are less likely then to be lost for long periods of time. So that's something, again, that's oftentimes offered through triad services. Um, and triads are through your police department, the AAA, AARP. So um, being in contact, and it differs community high community by community, but I think that's something if you're really concerned about the wandering piece, that's a, a piece of technology that can be very helpful for that. Okay, so there are kind of environmental scans that you can conduct to take a look at and really explore the safety issues that may or may not be inherent in your loved one's home environment. Very easily, um, all over the house looking for things like electrical outlets, um, are they safe and working properly, those kinds of things. The, um, the location of shelves that they have to access, I mean, there are people still climbing up on their countertops to get to the very top shelf of things, that sort of thing. 
And then you can go room by room, really, and look through. Um, and let me tell you another website that I found that's not on this slide. It's called thiscaringhome.org, right? And it's on a, a, an upcoming slide. But I want to tell you about that because it takes you through room by room of a person's home. Now, this website is specifically set up for persons caregivers of persons with Alzheimer's disease or a dementing illness, but I think it's very helpful nonetheless. Looking at all kind, room by room, what, what could go bad in your bedroom? What are the hazards in the bathroom? What are the hazards in the living room? What are the hazards in the garage, in the kitchen? And so I think that's a very helpful site um, for those of you who are internet savvy, just to look through. And, and even if your loved one um, is not experiencing cognitive decline, such as a dementing illness or Alzheimer's disease, I think it's a great website. It was pulled together by um, an interior design architectural specialist, and um, so I'm not, I have no commercial you know, interest in it, but, but I think it's a worthwhile site to pursue, um, just to peruse. Okay, from a nursing perspective, um, we use this um, SPICES framework, and you'll see the S-P-I-C-E-S, um, and what it stands for, really some common preventable problems that you need to be aware of. So sleep problems, yes, sleep does change as we age, but there's some things that we can do, some interventions, very simple interventions, things such as don't drink caffeine after noon, um, and you'd be surprised at how many people drink caffeinated coffee throughout the day and then wonder why they're up all night. So there's some very simple interventions that you can, um, that you can employ to help with this. Problems with eating and feeding, incontinence, confusion, evidence of falls and skin breakdown. The good news is that Many of these are very preventable. The bad news is that these are very common, but, and someone needs to address them. So again, if you're a, the family member, um, what is your role? Certainly to advocate, um, to get the appointments, help coax your loved one to go to, to, a, go to the appointments, right? Um, and then to help manage the problems that can be corrected. Um, if the problem is correctable, oftentimes the person can go right back into their home environment and be very independent. And if the, some of the problems aren't correctable, then you may need to s seek other supportive services. IADLs, another um, synonym or for um, instrumental activities of daily living. But in the past, the, a couple slides ago, I spoke of ADLs and stood for activities of daily living. This is instrumental activities of daily living. And these really tend to be what the research tells us. These are the deal breakers for people. The, um, deficits in these areas are what oftentimes lead to um, institutionalization or to needing additional supportive services. So inability to use the telephone. And remember, that was the number one. Um, if you remember back to persons age 16 older on previous slide, they said, if I can't use the telephone, that's a real problem, and it is. Um, if they're unable to continue going shopping um, for groceries, whatever, um, food preparation, housekeeping, laundry, transportation, medication, and finances. And oftentimes it's a deficit in one of these areas that first um, alerts the family that there's a problem, right? Um, my mother can no longer handle her checking account, right? Yes? <laughs> That's a good question. Is indifference the same as inability? I think you, probably, you have a scenario in mind, I'm sure. You have someone you're thinking of. And, yes. Okay. And, uh, she no longer wants to shop or cook or clean or do laundry or those 
-hmm. My answer to that is, is not, it's not an easy, it's not a yes or no. Um, I think it needs, it bears something that needs to be addressed to be looked into. Um, you know, is there an underlying depressive symptom going on there? I don't, I don't know. That could be easily treatable. Um, or is that oftentimes people shy away from doing things because they're unable to do them anymore? Um, and so I, it's difficult to, you know, I can't ascertain if it's inability, you know, if it's a functional loss, cognitive loss, or if it's a, a, another, uh, like maybe anxiety or depression. Um, but I think either way, it needs to be checked out would be my recommendation for that. So what can you do to support a person who has some of these IADLs or instrumental activities of daily living losses? Certainly that there's an advent, a whole entrepreneurial <laughs> um, explosion, particularly with this great recession, of persons who are now coming in and saying, I, I can help mom, dad, whomever, um, with shopping and some of these IADL supports. There's a whole agency, um, explosion of agencies to, that are built around the whole idea of companion care Home Instead, for example, is, an, is a for-profit agency in, in our area here in Virginia, and I think they're nationally based as well. And their whole purpose is not to provide medical care, not home health care, but really companion care, um, and this sort of IADL care. So they'll take your loved one shopping, help them, um, get, you know, take them to church, take them to the beauty shop, take it, you know, so they can continue to live at home. But it's really very... Um, it, it's appropriate for people that just need a little extra kind of companion. If only someone could, could go with mom or dad, that kind of thing. Um, so those kinds of, of agencies are now popping up. I like this visual here because I think it's interesting to get a sense of what it does look like. You know, if a person's vision is impaired, what does it look like to have a cataract? You know, what, what do they see versus what you and I see? And so um, very interesting. Maybe a reason for some of the for example, car accidents or something. Medication support, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Um, just because a person's written a prescription doesn't mean they fill it. And then just because they fill it doesn't mean they take it. <laughs> and so really, and to the extent that persons use different healthcare providers, different pharmacies, um, it becomes very confusing. And so someone needs to have a handle on what all the, a list of all medications that your loved one's taking. Um, emptying the cabinets, using only one pharmacy, um, that sort of thing. So just kind of tips, if, if you don't have a good grasp on what medications your loved one's taking, you need to, because that seems to be fairly fundamental. You know, because many, you know, incontinence can be caused by some drug-to-drug -drug interactions. Sleep problems can be caused by that. And so unless you have a real good sense of the medications both prescribed and over the counter and, and supplements, et cetera, et cetera, that persons are taking, it's really difficult to um, really intervene appropriately. Transportation, a big deal, becoming bigger as more and more, what we're finding in America is that we're, that we're aging, certainly, and that the number of persons who um, are gonna be 65 and old, older is doubling by, what, 2030, Again, so, so we've got real difficulties. But where people are aging is primarily in rural areas. And in the rural areas, we have lots of transportation issues. Um, so this can be kind of a deal breaker, too, for folks who are trying to stay independent in their homes. If they don't have adequate 
transportation services. Um, they need to. And again, my tip here is just that before you start talking about transportation services or, or if a person needs to stop driving, well, that's always a whole other conversation, check in, do your homework, and check into what other services are available in the community. Are there shuttle buses, home delivery services? As I say, right now in my neighborhood, there's a home delivery for groceries. You know, So could you maybe instead of trying to get your older adult to the grocery store, could the grocery store come to them? So yes? <laughs> yeah, that's always a good one. My own daughter just started to drive and I didn't have a conversation with her. I find it ironic that I have to have this, I'm, I'm expecting to have a conversation with my father, mm-hmm. have a conversation with me, mm-hmm. but um, he's a risk. He doesn't know it, but I do. Okay. Okay, so the question is just how to start the conversation about the whole driving issue, and that, that's a big, tough, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. He's independent, he wants to do it himself, mm-hmm. and this is big for him psychologically and socially and other things. It's huge. But, um, for my three brothers and I, it's not a question of if he'll have an accident, it's a question of when. Okay. So now there are all kinds of, you know, the work that I do is in dementia care. And so there's a whole now guideline, and you can Google it, guidelines on driving in dementia. It just came out about, it's not even six months old. I don't So anyway, so there are telltale signs. Um, for when it's, you know, have they had accidents? Has he, he or she had some fender benders? In the last year or two? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, that's a telltale sign. Um, some increasing visual issues. Um, do they become combative or, or co- confrontational? Even if they're uh, uh, not driving in the car, are they very irritable in the car? Oh, they shouldn't, you know, they cut me off, I'm going to cut them off. Those kinds of things, that's not a good sign. Um, my, my short answer to this is that you need to lean very heavily on your health care provider because people tend, older adults tend to listen to the advice of their health care provider. And what many health care providers now do is they all write a prescription that says no more driving. And you'd be amazed at how effective that can be. Now certainly you can go the route of DMV. Uh, your division of motor vehicles and ask them to, you know, revoke the license. You can do all, you can start that, but that's a, you don't want that burden. I, I, I always say put that burden on your health care provider. Um, they will take that burden, um, and, and I think that that takes you out of that whole thing. Now, you know, the logistics of it in terms of you actually taking the keys, keys away, or are you going to dismantle the transmission? You know, you, you'd be amazed at what people go through. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, but it's a big deal, and so I think that to the extent that you can take yourself out of being the bad guy, um, that that's a, a better place for relatives. So, sure, sure, yes. Hi. Right. Okay. So we're going to talk about HIPAA in a moment, but how I how others approach this is making an appointment um, with your, the health care provider for your loved one. And then typically what I ask when, um, when family members go in then, they meet ahead of time, you know, or are out in the hallway and say, here's what's going on. We've got issues here. We've got problems here. And I want to start a conversation about that. And so I think oftentimes, you know, slipping them a note, calling them, you know, leaving a message on the nurse line that, you know, my mother's coming in and here's the real issue. 
um, anything like that, because healthcare providers, I, I believe, are very in tune to this. And this is something that, you know, particularly neurologists, family practice, anyone who has a practice of older adults, um, is very in tune to this. And this is what they do. Um, so again, I always advocate, take yourself out of being the guy in the middle. Let the healthcare provider have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then the trick is and then how you're gonna implement that. But I take myself out of you know, being the one saying, driving's over, Dad. I, I think you know, Dr. Smith can say that. Financials, support for this, a big deal. I just told you what was just released yesterday from the um, National Area Agency on Aging Report is that finances are the number one reason now that people, older adults, what's the most challenging for them and what's really gonna drive services. And so more and more we're seeing older adults needing to relocate, move back in with folks um, with family members, and for some that's an option, for others that's maybe not an option. But you, you know, all kinds of social programs are available, um, rent subsidies, utility discounts, all kinds of things. And so I kind of have this as a first tier for options um, that may be able to allow your loved one to ma maintain independence in their home. Um, finances, different things you can do if you're concerned about are they not handling them well, certainly setting up joint checking accounts, having bills sent directly to you, or notification sent to you if bills have gone unpaid. And again, there are lots of entrepreneurial businesses that are popping up that will, do, that will coordinate all of this care for you. Uh, a kind of a level two financial support, durable powers of attorney. Um, this is where you need the help of a, of a legal counsel at this kind of level two support. I think level one support things you can kind of take care of on your own, but level two support, you need some assistance because rules, you know, the laws are different and as you know, continually changing. I've given you a link here too to uh, managing money from afar, AARP um, bulletin that helps you figure out some of that as well. Medical support, a big deal. And if you figured out Medicare, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, good for you. Um, most people haven't, and it's very confusing. And certainly you um, understand that there are time limits for when you need to enroll or else there are penalties that follow you through, and with Social Security too, the rest of your life. If you don't enroll at the right time, then you always have this kind of 10% bump um, penalty. So you really need to be on top of this. And I will tell you that I go often to the Medicare site they have very up-to-date information, and if you have questions um, about that, then I think another good um, point of access is your area agency on aging. HIPAA. told you we talk about HIPAA. So again, a good example of the best of intentions gone bad. Um, so yes, you do need permission to access certainly medical records, anything of that nature, or to be notified of um, when they're hospitalized or anything like that. But again, this is a good reason then, take care of this, you know, legally certainly, and you can't, an avoidance of this topic only leads to problems down the road. So there is a conversation, there's a crucial, crucial conversation around all this, these issues of powers of attorney, HIPAA constraints, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, kind of pretending like it doesn't exist will exacerbate it, yes sir? No. Dad having problems doing this to stop the doctor from having that's exactly. conversations 
Absolutely, and that's what I was saying. You can always, always access them, but their ability to give you information is limited, prohibited. Okay, so um, you need documents, right? So if you're trying to get organized to take care of a loved one, you need some legal documents, and you need to have them all pulled together. Um, I give, I've given you a site here for, that kind of goes through what some of the important documents are that you need to have compiled and pulled together. Things, date of birth, social security number, location of legal, financial, medical documents, um, the tax, you know, it may be important for you to review some of these, maybe a tax time, um, and then certainly keys to their home. If they keep some of these documents in their home, you need to have access. I can't overemphasize the, the, the fact that it takes a village um, to provide care to loved ones as they age. And so all of these people that I've listed here, all these roles, are very important and can be very helpful. Um, and it can be as simple as a phone call. If you say, I don't know even how to access social workers who could help me. A simple phone call to your area agency on aging or even to your local hospital can start the ball rolling for you. Family members, this is a tricky situation here. I don't know um, if your families are different than every other family, but most families have a little bit of conflict, um, hidden, very well hidden, um, but, but it's there. And so trying to start the conversation maybe with loved ones, with relatives, siblings oftentimes who are living at a distance, who seem to have all the answers from Chicago for what needs to be happening in Fluvanna. Um, so that's not atypical. But how do you start those conversations as well? And I think, once again, it's one of, avoidance does not is, is a choice. And so if you make that choice, you're going to go down a, a pretty um, bad path, in my, in my opinion. So these family meetings, what needs to be happening at family meetings? Um, because of what you'll come out with, you'll be amazed oftentimes at what your brother drags up. Well, remember when you were 22 and I was 20? It's like, wow, this is, this is where we are again, talking about that? I thought we'd resolve that 40 years ago, but okay. Let's. So I think it's important to, um, to talk about that. I have seen some family members who, honest to gosh, have used a mediator for these family meetings, and that's okay. I think there's a place for that, certainly. Um, the important thing is not how you get there, it's getting there, having the conversation. So if you believe that there's too much conflict or tension, whatever, that you can't resolve on your own, I think it's a, it would be a smart thing to enlist someone to help you with that. And certainly, again, these entrepreneurial business, these care coordinators, social workers are very good at that, very skilled at that, nurses as well. Um, so I think that, you know, reach out. I, I believe the help's there. But again, my, my take-home message for this is have the conversation. And what people will ask, too, while we're talking about kind of long-distance caregivers, people will say, well, what can I do? You know, I live in Chicago. What can I do? How can I help? And so, okay, well, can you help me figure out, you know, is it time to hire someone to help <coughs> mom or dad? Can you inter look, check references, interview, some of those things from afar? Um, so I've given you kind of a listing here of some categories of, of ways that people from a distance, relatives from a distance can be helpful for you and some different roles that they can take on so that you don't feel like you're taking on everything. Again, work to your strengths. Who's best at interviewing maybe on the phone? Who's best at supervising? Maybe a loved one has, you know, 
lots of experience in that sort of thing, and you don't. Is, is there a CPA in the family? You know, let's get on them to help with the finances. So really play to people's strengths. Um, and again, I think a lot of this is, is, is probably self-evident, but just something to remember and to consider. I'm a big advocate for community resources. I think by and large, 99.9% .9 of us want to stay independent as long as possible and want to live in our home environments. And so the area agencies on aging, they're set up for that. Um, it, so, uh, for example, the area agency on aging here in this area, we have senior centers, respite care available, adult daycare. I mean, the list goes on and on of how we can help. And so um, I think it's important to access them because oftentimes there's a lot more help available than you realize. All kinds of volunteers, friendly visitors. I helped establish this. It's going on right now. Um, it was run out of James Madison University, but their nursing and social work students are trained and some psychology students are trained to come and to provide respite care in the home for family caregivers throughout the day. It's part of their community service work that they're doing. And so they go out about three hours, three to four hours a week and um, provide just companion care, you know, so that the family member, the caregiver can get a break. So you'd be amazed that once you start really looking into the available services, you may be amazed at what's available. Again, I believe I've spoken to this, um, State Department of Aging, and then I'm a huge advocate for the area aging, agencies on aging. I mean, we're getting into models now of chronic care management through these AAAs, through senior centers. So really asking, um, talk, want, um, wanting to, you want to speak with the care managers or the case managers. They will know of the programs that are available and the eligibility requirements and any restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that case managers of your area agencies on aging um, can be real advocates and real supportive of the work that you're trying to do. So when you're long distance, what, do you, you know, what are some ways to stay connected when you're at a distance? I think if you're talking about your, you know, your parents or a, a, a relative, you need to figure out who are a couple people in the community who you could call on to say, you know, what's really going on with mom and dad? So there are people, maybe other church members, clergy, neighbors, oftentimes get tapped for this sort of thing. Um, the bank teller, does, you know, the, the, the beauty shop, the hairstyle, someone who has, constant, or has some sort of consistent contact with your loved one who can give you a sense of do they seem on or off or what's going on you know because I'm not there tell me um, I think it's important too um, to keep abreast of what's going on in their community so if you know I think subscribing to a local newspaper is a good idea it just gets you a sense it gives you a sense of are there changes going on are there additional resources that have been added in that community that you're unaware of um, so I think that's just a good idea for everyone and I included this by a fax machine. You'll be amazed at the forms and the paperwork um, that's required. And so having a, a fax machine readily available, I think, is, is always a good idea. Special problems. Um, people can, be, can become very cantankerous, right? They don't want to go to the doctor. They don't, they, um, we see um, real spikes in alcohol abuse, elder abuse, and depression in this age group. And so I think it's just something you need to be aware of, that these problems do exist, and that they are problems that should not be, um, should not be um, overlooked. Um, 
and again, all of these, I believe, are, are reasons to, to look to healthcare providers from a, for some assistance as well. Okay, so I've given you some additional resources for fact sheets. Driving and dementia is listed on there, but I would tell you that um, just Google driving and dementia guidelines, and that will get you to the site that you need if, if you have that particular concern. Holding a family meeting, all of that is on this caregiver.org. Um, and then the whole issue of self-care for, for caregivers. If you're a family member who's now in a caregiving role, um, I'd say thank you. Um, it's, it's not often, a, you don't get thanked, I don't believe, often enough. But, and it's a difficult role. And you'll see oftentimes that it's really the exhaustion of the caregiver that leads to institutionalization of the loved one, um, that sort of thing. So the importance of taking care of yourself, I don't believe, can be overemphasized. Um, again, staying on the topic of caregiver well-being, how to take care of yourself, um, how to confront issues, how to ask for help. Um, and so if you think, yeah, I can be a martyr and do it all, I can do this, I'd say that that would be very short-lived. And so before you go down the path of becoming a family caregiver, I believe it's important for you to have some backup systems already in place um, because this is not, I, think, I believe caregiving is a team sport. It, it's not a solo, um, solo sport at all. So you need to really be prepared for this because oftentimes you, know, this, you can be in it for a long haul. 10 years, 20 years, are you prepared for that? Okay, so the whole issue is that what we've been talking about is how to recognize when it is time to move on, when there are other options that need to be explored outside of living independently in their home. And there are other options. So back to, is your loved one okay? How do you know if they're okay? What are some questions that you need to ask yourself? Can they prepare themselves something to eat? I can't tell you how many times older adults just forget to eat. And so, you know, if you forget to eat for two or three days, you don't feel so well, and then suddenly you may be confused, and you think, oh, they're confused, this is bad. Well, maybe it's, they're dehydrated. Um, so you really need to make sure that some of these basic pieces are in place. Do they have the judgment to identify who they should and should not let into their home? I mean, you hear tragic stories almost daily on the news about exploitation of seniors. Um, and so discerning truly, do they have this level of judgment or to be safe by themselves? So um, just a couple quotes just from two, uh, two manuscripts that I, I have the references for you. That people, here is the dilemma. You know, that when people, just because you believe that they're not able and capable to live by themselves alone doesn't mean, we're back to that whole perception thing, doesn't mean that that's their belief or not. And when, when do you let go of that and when do you um, allow them to, you know, to assume their own risk? Um, and I don't have the answer for that, I will tell you. I don't have the answer for that, but I think it, it certainly does, um, does present itself with some, some problems. So the whole issue of capacity. You know, when can I judge that my loved one still has the capacity to make a sound decision? Well, that's illegal. This, that really is, when you get into issues of capacity, um, that's something that the legal system, you need to work through the legal system with. Um, but certainly the whole issue of executive function comes into place. And you'll hear physicians, if you go to 
uh, health, your healthcare provider with your loved one, you'll hear this whole term executive function. And what we really, this, came, this term came into being when you think about what do executives do during the day. They plan, they organize, they present, all, ki all kinds of things that you do in a typical executive position. And so to the ability that, that your loved one no longer has the ability to plan for events, right? If they, so if they don't have food in their house, they need to plan for how they're gonna get food in their house. So that's an executive function. Right. Um, so what, what is executive function? And, and again, the, from a physiological perspective, it's prefrontal cortex, um, which is where we oftentimes see difficulties. This is all the IADLs, the ability to manage finances, the ability to shop, the ability to, um, to drive, all those kinds of things. Judgment is impaired, and so just so you know, if, if, if you're told or when you read about prefrontal cortex deficits, which you'll read about in Time magazine, um, they're talking about the ability to, to make judgments and for executive function to be in place. I've given you a kind of a diagnostic category here. It involves the ability to think abstractly and to plan, initiate, sequence, monitor, and stop complex behavior. So again, executive, what executives do throughout their days. I'm oftentimes asked, how do I know if my loved one or, or I myself, are, you know, am I slipping into a d dementia into an Alzheimer's disease? And so I often tell people, well, the fact that you're asking is a good sign, <laughs> number one. So again, that's a good sign. Um, I've shown you here a clock drawing, a simple test that oftentimes is, is performed in, in the context of a, a more thorough neuropsychological battery of tests to determine if a person does have Alzheimer's disease or a dementing illness. And so you just ask the person to draw a clock, and you typically, the typical instruction is for them to draw the clock to read 10 minutes till 11 or 10.50. And so this person's trying to do that here, and you'll see they're unable to. And so that's oftentimes difficulty. It's a tail sign, a kind of a gross sign, but a tail sign of some executive function. Just the, they can't take that abstract thought of 10 to 11 and commit it to paper using a clock that they've used all their lives to make sense. Okay? So you'll see this oftentimes. The other thing, uh, this other test down here, trail making, is oftentimes used as well um, to connecting A to 1, like a connect the dot and you connect A to one and B to two and C to three and D to four, and they're unable to do that. And so that's another neuropsychological test that's oftentimes used. I can't, having said all of this about you know, an array of, of tests that they can be undertaken to, to get a diagnosis, I think that at the end of the day too, it's your gut feeling. You know, if you know something's not right with mom or dad, or Aunt Sally, I think it, it's, it bears going and getting it checked out. Um, because typically, things people wait for a major incident, a house fire, um, a major accident before they take away the keys. Um, oftentimes, there's a real dramatic incident, and people say, you know, we, should, we knew this was coming, and we didn't do anything about it. So I advocate for if your gut's telling you that something's not right with mom or dad, get it checked out. I think that um, in the long run, it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, and if your gut feeling's on target, and even if it's not, you'll get some reassurance that you know, you're either going to have information to act on or to know that it's okay, not a big deal. 
but I think that information can be very powerful. Um, this is just going back to the whole guardianship issue. Um, if you need to go through a court of law, how, how the judge determines or what the judge determines to be incapable or incapacitated and how a guardian would need to be appointed, but um, hopefully you're not at that point. Options, lots of options, and I will tell you it's a booming business out there. If you've seen, almost every other commercial on the television has something to do with um, some sort of medical service or home health or something uh, that's targeted, very targeted for older adults. So the first one, um, moving in with family members. Um, for some people, this is a great option. Many people, not such a great option. Um, and so that's an individual um, piece that you'll need to work through. Um, the expense of it, how well do you get along? Is it worth, you know, maybe difficulties in your personal relationships? Because caregiving for mom from a distance and living with mom, um, very up close and personal, can be two very different things. There are all kinds of um, nearly independent options, senior apartments, subsidized congregate housing, retirement hotels, house sharing, becoming very popular, so I've understood. Um, flexible progressive care, we call them the um, continuing care retirement communities, CCRCs, places where you can go and live where you're independent and should your needs change, then they have assisted living available and should your, you have an, um, a need for additional care, more skilled care, then they have um, a nursing home level care right there. And so that's become very popular. I can tell you it can be very expensive, um, certainly, but for many it's the right way to go. Okay, so lots of options, lots of controversy, lots of challenges when you start looking at transitioning out of home. Yes, sir? No, no. We have a very fine continuum care facility for captains running in uh, Jackson, Mississippi area. Mm. I'm Methodist, so it's like a Catholic, but it's a fine facility. Yes, it's expensive to buy in. I had this conversation with my brother four years ago when I was trying to talk to my dad and going there. Okay. It's a very social place. He would love it, but he's convinced you go to a place like that to die. To die. And he doesn't want to live with leave the house. Sure. We, we, he has spent a ton of money on the house, which he built 50 years ago, a very nice neighborhood. He's still living there. In the last four years, what we spend a month on city taxes, utilities, yard upkeep, mm -hmm. the money, the housekeeper mm. comes four days, four half days a week. Sure. And thank God Shirley May's there. Um, is a big chunk of what we just spent at St. Catherine's. Mm -hmm. So it just mm -hmm. depends on your situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. It's, it's not easy. And, and what's available neighborhood, you know, community by community, um, some that are yeah, affiliated. Neighbors, you know, sure. When he was walking the dog around the block, and fell and couldn't get up. Somebody got him up. And now he uses mm -hmm. the part we got from mother seven years ago. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You're right. Yes. Is there a primary reason or a short list of primary reasons of why the elderly people get depressed? Huh. Well, <laughs> it's a tough audience. Um, I, well, yes and no. Certainly, um, with cognitive decline, you know, there is some, there's some change <laughs> as, as we age. And so there is a predisposition 
that can be for depression. I see it a lot in persons with cognitive impairment. Um, they go hand in hand. So that's something. I mean, certainly if you think of the losses that older adults experience, um, you know, I don't know your, your exact situation, but if there's been a loss of a spouse, loss of a spouse or neighbors or their, whole, their cohort, um, you know, it's not an uplifting <laughs> situation. But I, I think that, you know, it can be drug interactions, um, you know, medication interactions. I, I mean, I think it bears something to, to be looked into, certainly. Um, I don't think it has to be a normal part of aging at all. Um, and certainly with good therapy, you know, if it's counseling or medication, whatever it is, you know, it it's, can be treatable. So I, I don't think it's something to accept. Um, just like I don't think incontinence is something to accept or, you know, cognitive decline is something to, to accept. It's just, that's just aging. That's what we are all going to go through. I, that's not so. Um, that's a wives' tale that needs to be, you know, flushed. It's, that's, that's old. Um, so I would say certainly I, I would be, I, I will be very aggressive when it's time for my parents and those issues come up. Um, so I, I would advocate for that. Yes. I'm sorry. So the whole issue of polypharmacy, you know, we I've alluded to a couple times, you know, multiple healthcare providers, multiple pharmacies where they're getting dispensing, you know, dispensing medications. And so no one really has the big picture. And so I'd advocate that if your daughter, someone needs to get a handle on the big picture on, you know, what are the medications that have been prescribed? What is she taking over the counter? Because you'd be amazed at what people are taking over the counter. Um, you know, what supplements, what herbs, anything that they're taking. And then the other thing I would advocate for is that to the extent that you can keep your health care in one system, uh, you know, for example, I, I live here, I use UVA. And so we get, you know, my parents get referrals all within the UVA system. And so there's a shared medical record now that they have access to. And so I think that that helps um, cut down on some of the confusion. Um, so those are some strategies that I, but someone's got to get a handle on what medications are being used, what is, you know, what, what does your mother take, what is she actually getting filled, what is she taking, and what you'll find with many older adults at the end of the month, you know, if they've misplaced some medications or if they're running short on money, they choose not to take different ones, oftentimes the blood pressure ones, because they say, oh, I can't tell the difference. And so, you know, just because they have a prescription doesn't necessarily mean that they're taking it. Um, so medications can be very complicated. I'm not sure that I answered your question, but... I think, it, well, what I'm thinking of is more how do you deal with the medical care providers. I mean, because, you know, the drug companies, as I'm sure you're aware, mm -hmm. are, uh, they're pitching their stuff. And mm -hmm. just, I, I feel like pitching them, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, the older you get, the harder you get. As right. you said, older people are a lot more, less likely to question their medical care right. providers. Right, right. Not necessarily a good thing. Right. And it may be, quite frankly, time for a conversation. If there's a primary care physician or practitioner involved, 
you know, having a frank conversation. You know, you may not even know, but mom's seeking care for this from this person, this from this person, this from this person. Did you know that? Can you, you know, can you help me? I, I think that they're, you know, we oftentimes kind of shy away and think, oh, they must know. It's all okay. Um, but I, I'm a person I like you know, conversations. I think you've got to have those. And maybe as a physician you would say otherwise, but you've got to have a conversation. I think in uh, um, my own mother's case, uh, you know, I'm over at this nursing facility every day, and I, I'm not her primary doctor, but I work with her primary care doctor to keep her mm-hmm. number of drugs to a minimum. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that if everybody uh, did that, we'd be a lot better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The most common complaint I have is overprescribing psychiatric drugs with elderly patients in there. They can have disastrous results of their uh, behavior. Sure. Uh, and also, the Alzheimer's drugs are another problem. Not very effective. Uh, it's also a conceivable they can basically do for a patient after a year or two. And if they're not working, there's no reason to continue taking these medications or add something else such as Ativan to suppress the combative behavior that you see with a, an amanda or an aerosol. Mm-hmm. And I see this every day that, that uh, the patients who are, or the, the family will take the responsibility of uh, going to their doctor and saying, I want my uh, mother or father off these particular medications that would like to try them without them rather than adding Ativan or something else, another antidepressant on top of their already long list of medications. And they actually do better off the medication, off mm-hmm. of everything, mm-hmm. versus having four things to control mm-hmm. their behavior. Mm-hmm. You can't become behavioral management problems for the nursing facility, and they want to unload these patients on another facility that is uh, more expert in dealing with psychiatric problems mm-hmm. There's a way for your mother to seek care. I think I think you've got. It. Yes. So yeah. This talk, I'd be glad to send it to you. Um, 
oh, oh, the, the, the voice recording is available on iTunes U, but if you want a copy of the actual presentation itself, I'm glad to send it to you. If you just send me an email. Sure. Okay. Five minutes left overall. Today. Okay. So I know you have a little content, and certainly you're already getting Okay, thank you. So let me just finish. Again, this caringhome.org, I alluded to this earlier as a website that I thought was a good website, particularly if, you can, if you're concerned about safety issues in the home. It takes you home, uh, room by room, um, and I think it's, it's well pulled together. Um, I think it's very useful. Um, we've talked, I think, a lot about different home arrangements that are available. Um, many of you have shared some stories about to the extremes that you've had to go to to maintain, you know, a housekeeper and yard work and this sort of the other. So they're available, no question. Um, I've alluded several times to the careplanner.org, lots of different fact sheets on community care options, home away from home, relocating your parents, just some fact sheets that I think can be helpful um, to review and to maybe help you begin a conversation. Web resources. I've alluded to all of these, and I've given you some references. So, good questions. Thank you. Hi. Did it seems like Dr. Rose can wait uh, behind for a few minutes. Absolutely. I'm glad to speak. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I hope it was helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.